Good morning. My name is Bobby. And as Tejas said, for those of us who have school-aged children, it's hard to believe that the summer is over. Um, my wife and I, our family, we kind of hit a milestone this year, one of those first big things, because our, our oldest son is off to kindergarten. Uh, and so last Wednesday, we got up early, we got dressed, you know, had breakfast. Hey, he stood at the window because he was waiting for the bus to come and pick him up. We went outside, you know, watched him get on the bus. He didn't even turn around. He was, he was so ready to go. Um, you know, we had hundreds of pictures of him. Like it was like every step out of the house is like a picture and, <laughs> we were kind of joking, like, we feel sorry for our girls coming next, because they'll be like, well, just, you know, we'll see you later. Just go out, go out with Jack, wait with Jack. Uh, we'll see you when you get back. But, you know, if you've been in that, if you've experienced that, you realize, like, you're going through a lot of different emotions, right? You're experiencing a lot of different things. You're thrilled for your kids and what they're going to experience, what they're going to learn, the friends that they're going to make. You see their excitement and and. And, and you begin to feel that there's that anticipation, you know, coming up to the school year and, and just, you know, getting, so, you know, getting the backpack and the school shoes and getting your school haircut and, you know, all of those things. But at the same time as a parent, the things that Jody and I were also feeling was anxiety, uh, worry, fear, even as we're thinking about sending our son out. Uh, where he's going to be spending most of the hours of a day away from us now, and that that's just going to be life here uh, moving forward. And, you know, we, we experience that worry. We experience that sense of fear as parents because we know what's out there, don't we? We know what our kids are going to experience. We know what the quote-unquote real world is like. We know what our kids will be tempted with. We know that what they might experience from other kids that they go to school with. We know that they could get hurt in a lot of different ways. It's easy to be scared because we all know that the world is a scary place sometimes, right? We all know that the world can be a fearful place. And when we are faced with the realities of these things, the scariness, the, the evil, the, the darkness that we all encounter, all the time, every day, in different relationships, at our workspace, in our neighborhoods, what we see on the news, what we experience just in our own life. Um, it's easy for us to just say the right things as Christians. It's easy for us to use phrases talking about God's sovereignty and God's control and God's goodness and victory in Jesus and suffering for Jesus' sake. And, and, you know, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And all those things are true. But as we are saying those things, we are often tempted to be reaching out, grasping for some sense of control. We can acknowledge that God is in control, but because I know what this world is like. I know what darkness is out there. I know what temptations are there. I know all of the things that can go wrong. I'm trying to find a sense of control. I'm trying to make sure the best that I can, that myself, that my family, that the people that we love don't have to experience those things. 
And we can find ourselves creating an insulated, comfortable, pain-free existence with every decision that we make. As we come to the end of John 16 this morning, we're going to see Jesus talk about things like courage and victory and peace. But what I want us to see this morning and what I want us to see from Jesus's words is this, that God's peace doesn't save us from trouble. It saves us in trouble. That God's peace doesn't save us from the troubles of this world, but it saves us as we are experiencing the troubles of this world. So would you turn to John 16? If you're using the Bible around you, it'll be on page 526. John 16, and we're going to start up in verse 23 and read to the end of the passage, end of the chapter. So hear these words of Jesus. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I, and do, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to, do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus begins the passage that we just read by using a phrase, in that day, in that day. And as we've seen over the last few chapters, what's Jesus doing with his friends, with the men that he loves, the people who are closest to him? He's preparing them for the time when he's not going to be with them anymore. These are his last words to those he loves. And we saw that John tells us that at the beginning of chapter 13, that he loved these men. He loved them. He loved them. And he's preparing them for a time when he won't be with them anymore. And what Jesus gets into here is a theme that he's come back to over and over again in these chapters that we've been looking at over the summer months. He talks about prayer. 
And he talks about asking his father and receiving from his father the things that they ask for. He's talking about there will come a time, and it's coming, when he will not be with them anymore, but they can know that his father will answer their prayers. His father will give them what he asks for. And here we see Jesus kind of recapping what we saw in chapter 15 there. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask, receive, and experience the joy of receiving what you've asked for. But Jesus kind of gives a little twist here. He says, don't ask me to ask the Father on your behalf. Don't ask me to go to the Father and ask my Father to give you what you want. Go ask my Father. Now, hold on to that. We're going to come back in a minute and dive into that. But before we do, Jesus finally (laughs) explains to his disciples, hey, listen, I've been a little cryptic with you up to this point. You know, I, I haven't been completely plain. And, and we know that's kind of how Jesus teaches. That's how he operates. He speaks in, in parables and, and, and he talks about here in figures of speech because he's trying to get his disciples to think through things. He's trying to, to, to bring them into a, a, a what he's trying to say in a different way. But it begs the question, why has he waited to speak plainly to them? Why doesn't, as he says, the hour is coming, why hasn't the hour already come? Why doesn't he just be plain and clear and say, this is what I want you to know? Why didn't he just tell them and they would understand? Because Jesus knew they wouldn't understand. Look back at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 16. And Jesus says this, still, I have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What Jesus is saying here is there's coming a time for his friends of clarity and of understanding. And that time is when they receive the spirit of God because Jesus promises them when they receive God's spirit, God's spirit will guide them into all truth. God's spirit will make plain the things that Jesus has said to them. God's spirit will speak words from the son about the father. Again, we see that beautiful relationship of God, three persons yet one, that unity, God the Spirit speaking the words of God the Son about God the Father to God's people, the people that he loves. But Jesus had to go away for this to happen. And if you're a disciple, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, how is this how is this going to happen? What does this mean for us, Jesus? You're going away and yet you're still telling us that we can 
get from the Father what we ask for, that we can experience the joy of receiving what we are asking God for, but you are not going to be here. And that's why Jesus said, I love this. Look at, look at what he says. For the Father himself, for the Father himself loves you. I'm not telling you, Jesus says, to ask me so that I can ask the Father on your behalf. Why? Because God himself loves you. You do not have to have me advocate on your behalf. Jesus is not saying that he's never going to do that because we know other places in scripture, it points to the fact that Jesus is there for us. He is advocating for this. But here Jesus tells his disciples, I love you. You love me because you believe in me. You are following me. And God, your father, loves you. Go right to him. Go straight to him. Go directly to him and know because he loves you, he will hear you and he will give you what you ask for if you ask for it in my name. You remember when we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about the fact that Jesus isn't saying, hey, just go repeat these words and you will get what you ask for. He's saying, when you pray, pray like this. Have this heart. Have this desire that when you pray, you are praying for the things that God wants. You are desiring what God desires for yourself, for the people you love, for the world around you. And when you go to God and you pray and ask for the things that you know God wants for you, that you know God wants for those that you love, that you know God wants for this world, you can know that God hears you and that God will give you what you ask for. Jesus says, go to God, my father, and pray in my name. Pray for the things that you know I want for you. Pray for the things that you know I desire for those that you love. Pray for the things that you know I want for this world. And you can be assured that my father will hear you and he will give you what he asks for. Can you imagine that? These are men who grew up in a tradition, in a religious tradition where God was seen as huge. God was not, you know, they had the priests, they had the sacrificial system. They had this whole thing built up that pointed them to a big, powerful, huge God. And here Jesus is saying that that God that you worship, he knows you. And he loves you and you can go directly to him as your father and know that because he loves and cares for you, that he will give you what you ask for. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, just stop to think about that. Think about that for your life, that the God who is in control of everything the God who is the creator God, the God who, who is huge and powerful and incomprehensible knows you. He knows your life. He loves you. And he says, come and ask me, ask me and I will give it to you. Praise God for that.
Jesus says, I came from the Father. I have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world. And I'm going to the Father. This is clear, right? This is as plain as Jesus has been. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And this is where I'm going. And after Jesus goes back to the Father, he's saying that because I came from God, because I have been sent here by God, and because I'm going back to God, all of what I'm telling you is possible. I'm not just giving you a pipe dream here. I'm not just telling you something to make you feel better. I'm telling you that what I say is true because of who I am and where I've come from. After Jesus goes back to the Father, the disciples will understand more and more who God is and their relationship with him and their prayers will be answered. That sounds great, right? And if you're in that room, if you're hearing Jesus say, hey, I'm going away, but you, because I'm going away, your prayers will be answered. You have direct access to the Father. You will have the Spirit of God who give you understanding and clarity more and more and more about what I've said to you. You're thinking, we could do a lot worse than that. That sounds good. If you're gonna have to leave Jesus, that sounds good. I'm glad at least we have that. They thought they understood. They thought they finally got what Jesus was trying to say to them. But Jesus says, no, you think you believe? You think you know what I'm talking about? You think you know what is going to happen? Just wait. Jesus knew that their faith would be tested. That a time was coming where everything that he had told them was going to be put to the test. It was easy for them to say in that room, in that moment, you know, with all the feels and all the emotions and everything, it was easy for them to say, yes, now Jesus, we get it. We believe you. We understand what you're saying. Jesus knew there was coming a time when that faith, that belief was going to be put to the test. They were gonna face opposition. They were gonna see him arrested beaten, executed. And we know, as Jesus said, they scattered, right? They scattered in the midst of this. They fell asleep in the garden when Jesus was praying and pouring out his soul to his father. Peter denied him when he was questioned by a teenage girl. Hey, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? And he said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. None of his disciples that we know of, except Peter and John, were even around when Jesus was going through his trial, when he was led up to be executed. They all went back to fishing. They all were hiding in a room, scared of the authorities, scared that people who had, the people who'd arrested and beaten and executed Jesus were gonna find them and do the same thing. Jesus says, there is an hour that is coming. And indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. They wouldn't share in the suffering of Jesus. They wouldn't identify themselves with who Jesus really was. For a moment, they would abandon him. And I just want to say, 
this is one of the greatest realities of the church. That the church, what we know about following God, what we know about being a community of faith, the history that what we're doing here on Sunday mornings and what we're doing here as a community of believers and followers of Jesus is built on, it's built on discredited men who shrank in fear. Men who, when their faith was tested, when they were given the opportunity to identify with Jesus, they fled in fear and they left him alone. The church's existence isn't a result of great faith or great courage, but it's because of what Jesus did. It's because of his courage. It's because of his obedience to his father. It's because of his humility to come and to lay his life down willingly for people he knew would abandon him in his hour of greatest need. And when you read through the New Testament, you see over and over and over again that the writers never forgot that fact. They knew who they were. They knew who, what they had done. They knew God's grace and God's mercy to them. And they knew that everything that they knew about God and experienced about God and had the power that they had together was not a result of their own efforts and their own strength and their own courage, but it was because of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we can take comfort in. And Jesus knew all of these things and he doesn't rebuke them. But what does he do in verse 35? He offers them encouragement in verse 33, excuse me. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Remember when Jesus sat down after he had preached that sermon on the Mount and Matthew said that the crowds were awed. They were amazed because they had never heard someone teach with authority like this. And we talked about Jesus teaching with authority that no one in history has been able to name reality like Jesus. No one in history had been able to speak to the reality, the human understanding like Jesus did. And Jesus here speaks to a tension, a reality that every single one of us will face now and for the rest of our lives. You will have trouble, you can have peace. That's a tension, right? You will have trouble. You can also have peace. And what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's not philosophizing. He's not trying to get some, you know, uh, uh, idyllic thing going on here. Jesus is talking about real, tangible reality, real experience, something that you and I face every single day, the tension of the power of God and the power of this world, faith in God's goodness and love and an acceptance that there is an enemy out there who wants to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus's peace here and the world's troubles. 
Jesus wants his friends. Jesus wants us to have peace. Jesus wants us to have an acceptance of the reality of trouble. Jesus wants them to be courageous. Jesus wants them to experience all of this because they know that he has overcome the world. But I think for us, there can be a misunderstanding of this. That when we claim the victory of Jesus, when we say that Jesus has overcome the world, that somehow we can that we can convince ourselves that that means that those of us who follow Jesus are now exempt from tragedy. We are exempt from conflict, that we are exempt from experience poverty, experiencing poverty and, and want and need and struggle and disillusionment. I mean, this is kind of Sadly, what a lot of our American churchism has, has, has led us to is that we put on a happy face and we find a nice house and we get a good job and we live in a safe neighborhood and we have healthy kids and we go to church and there's nothing wrong with those things. But we look at those things as the evidence of Jesus's victory, as the evidence of Jesus's power as the evidence of the peace that Jesus promises here. But is that really what Jesus is talking about? No. No. Trouble and peace in the same breath here. Peace and trouble aren't mutually exclusive for us. Jesus's peace takes the troubles of this world Seriously. Jesus' peace takes the troubles of this world and accepts them. Opposition to following Jesus from your family, from your coworkers, the financial burdens that we face, sickness, death, disease, injustice, difficult relationships. All of these things rock our faith. They sow seeds of distrust. You know, is following Jesus really worth it? They can isolate us, as Nate was talking about. They isolate us from each other. But what Jesus is telling his disciples here is don't be surprised when you face trouble. Don't pretend like it doesn't hurt when you experience trouble. Don't act like you're not afraid when you come face to face with really scary things in this life. As long as we are in this world, we will experience a hostility to God's kingdom from people, from cultural and political systems, from the experiences of just being human. All of these are physical, tangible troubles that point to a spiritual reality. In John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief, his enemy, Satan, is here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And those aren't just spiritualized terms. Those are real things. There are real things. People are, being, are stealing and being stolen from. 
People are killing and being killed. People's lives are being destroyed and people are destroying others' lives. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what does Jesus say is true about him? I have come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest extent. Jesus wants us to have life. And yet day after day after day, we experience a world that is in conflict with that. A world where we experience the opposite of life and full life. Jesus says, when you have troubles, take heart, be courageous. I was watching some golf yesterday afternoon. And if I was out there on the links and I was playing with a golf pro, you know, one of these guys, best in the world, and he sinks a 90 foot putt and he turns to me and he says, hey, you got this. If I can do this, you can do it. I'm gonna be like, that's nice. Thanks for the encouragement, but that's not gonna happen. You're a professional. This is what you do. This is what separates you from everybody else. I mean, maybe after years and years and years and years and years of trying, I could maybe do this, but this is not going to happen right now. That's a great sentiment, but he's setting me up to fail. I'm going to feel great about myself until I see that putt go 12 feet past the hole, you know? If Jesus was just a great moral leader and he comes to his friends and he comes to us and he says, you know what? I've overcome the world and you can do it too. I believe in you. (laughs) Don't doubt yourself. You can do this too. We can think great about it, but eventually the troubles will drown us. The troubles of this world will swallow us up And we will fail over and over and over again to experience the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here. I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying to his friends here and us this morning is that he faced the troubles of this life. He faced the enemy who wanted to destroy him and who wants to destroy us. And Jesus won. He didn't give in to the temptations of Satan. He didn't stay dead. Jesus overcame the world, but you and I never could. We never could overcome the world. We will never be able to overcome the world. But Jesus promises what? That in me, you may have peace. Jesus has overcome the world and he has promised to do it in us and through us. Listen to these verses again. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Listen to this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Y'all, when we face trouble, all that 
that, that whatever exhaustive list of troubles that you want to use, when we face those things and experience those things, we can never know peace. We can never overcome those things. We can never prevent ourselves from being swallowed up in fear and despair. Jesus says, apart from me, you will never be able to experience life. But abide in me and my spirit abides in you and you can know peace. This is not an ideal. This is not a code to live by. This is God living in us. God living in you. God living in me. Peace and victory in Jesus doesn't mean that we're saved from trouble, but we're saved in the midst of trouble. That we know that God is for us, that we know that God is in us, and that that knowledge gives us courage to face trouble without crumbling and to experience a peace in knowing that what we're experiencing now will not last that Jesus did not stay dead, that he defeated death, and that because he lives, you and I can live as well. That's what makes our community such a beautiful thing, is that we are a people who cling to that. We don't always do it perfectly. We don't always do it as our first response. But as a community of people, we are here to remind each other in our lives and in our relationships with each other that we have a resilient hope in the midst of this chaotic world. That because Jesus has overcome and because God lives in us, we can experience peace in the midst of chaos. We can be strong and steadfast as we face trouble. And that is the hope that we offer to this community around us. That's why we're here. That's why we live in the neighborhoods that we live in. That's why you work at the job that you work at. God has placed you as a person of peace in that environment. To be someone who shows other people that peace and hope is possible. That when life is crumbling, when troubles are thick, that you can be at peace because Jesus has overcome the world. That's what it means for us to be a church in the city and for this city is that we remind each other day after day after day, there is hope in Jesus. There is peace in Jesus. And as a community, we offer that to every person that we come in contact with. As we take our communion this morning, we tear off a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice as a symbol of Christ's body that was broken, beaten, and put to death for us. His blood that was shed for us. Those are weird things to talk about. Those are weird things that, that we make commonplace in our worship gathering that is so out of the norm of what everybody else is talking about and thinking about. But we do it because we know that Jesus' death, that his resurrection, that the fact that he is coming back again is something that is so central and so essential to who we are. Because if that is not true, then we should have just stayed in bed this morning. We should have just found a nice restaurant to go out to brunch with our family. But because we are here, 
because we have made the commitment to be here. We've made that commitment because we know that that's true, that we have life in Jesus's death, that we have life because of his resurrection and that we have life because we know that he is coming back again. So if that is you this morning, if that's the hope that you are believing in this morning, I invite you to come and to take this, not only as a reminder for yourself, but as a reminder for each of us and as an encouragement that in this world, we will all have troubles, but in Jesus, we have peace because Jesus has overcome the world. I want to invite you this morning, if that's not you, if you're not a believer and a follower of Jesus, that that is the invitation. Quit trying to find peace on your own. Quit trying to weather the storm on your own. Come to Jesus because he will take your burden and he will give you life and peace and a peace that lasts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for these words of encouragement this morning. And we thank you that even like your disciples, when we have times where we run, where we are afraid and we run, when we are are fearful and we scatter, that you don't rebuke us, that you don't condemn us, that you don't turn your back on us, but that you remind us lovingly and gently that you have overcome the world and you invite us to come and to experience the peace that you offer. And I pray that that would be something that is true about this community of people here. I pray that our, our city would see that in us and they would see a community of hope, resilient hope in the midst of a chaotic world. God, bring people in this city to yourself. Save people, give people life and use this church body to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.